Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Here's what I want to answer over the next couple minutes is just like, what is the way forward? We're in part 10 of this series. We've talked all about Jesus. And for us as a church, like us as a church kind of beyond center point, but for us as a church, like we're a gathering of followers of Jesus, like what is the way forward? One of the incidences I love to talk about a lot is one that's my favorite in the scriptures where Jesus is gathered with his guys and he asks them a question of, hey, who do people say that I am? Like what, what is everybody saying about me in the streets and in the city of Jerusalem? And, and Peter pipes up and one of the few times he gets the right answer. He's like, uh, Jesus, we believe that you are the Christ, that you are the son of the living God. And then this statement that I love so much, Jesus replies back to him and says, Peter, upon that rock, or literally upon that statement, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my movement and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus is like, listen, guys, there's going to be some things that are going to come up the road, the inquisitions and the crusades and wars and crazy religious people and and Nero and all of the things that you think would stop this. But I just want you to know that I'm about to leave and I'm going to leave you guys with a mission and nothing's going to stop it because I'm making a promise to you that the influence of Jesus is never going to be thwarted. And this new movement called the church is never going to be stopped. And so I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with something and it's the power of my spirit. And so literally Jesus invitation and really exhortation was go be me to the world. Like go be me to the world. And his guys are like, okay, well, what do we need? Because you know how bad things are. Like how do we move forward? How do we do this? And Jesus is like, you're just going to need one thing. Like everybody's going to try to complicate this, but it's just going to be this one thing. And you know the statement, we've looked at it throughout this series. Jesus in an upper room defines this and says, hey, listen, I just want you to go. And I want you to love other people the way, next level, the way that I have loved you. Not the way that you define love, the way that I define and have modeled love. And then he says this, and by this... By this, you're going to be me to the culture and to the world around you. And by this, the world's going to change. And I love it because if you know history, they believed it. They believed Jesus. They believed Jesus' promise. And what Jesus' promise happened, it changed. They began to take this fledgling movement after Jesus' resurrection. And they just believed that if we come together around the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus is going to do something extraordinary. And without any of the things you think you need, they began to dismantle an expired religious system. And the temple walls began to tumble down. And the 
generational dividing walls began to fall. And 2,000 years later, a third of the world named Jesus as a Messiah, or they worshiped Jesus as Savior. This guy that he didn't go beyond 30 miles from his home and never wrote a book, and yet here we are. And they didn't do it on the backs of national power, and they didn't do it on the backs of control and culture. They had none of those things. They had no power, and it made no difference because they just believed that Jesus made a promise that he was going to build this movement called the church, made up of everybody who places their faith and trust in him. And if any generation would be bold enough to go, it's just that. It's just Jesus. We're just coming around Jesus, and we're taking this one thing with us, which is to love the way that Jesus has loved us. And we just believe that by that, we are going to be Jesus to the world. And by that, communities and neighborhoods and families and cities, and eventually the world is going to change. And they did it and they believed it and it happened. And 2,000 years later, here we are on the basis of Jesus' promise, I'm leaving, I'm leaving you with something and I want you to go be me to the world. And it's not complicated, just go love the way that I've loved you. And here's the advantage they had is, they had such clarity around who Jesus was and what Jesus was offering because they, they were with Jesus. They hung out with Jesus. They spent a lot of time with Jesus. But consequently, with each generation that has come, we have developed filter upon filter upon filter that have gotten in the way of Jesus, whether they're socioeconomic filters or political filters or, or what you were raised with filters or what you want Jesus to be filters. And suddenly what was so clear for them in many cases is not so clear for us. And so we're in a place where there's a lot of people, and it's what we said throughout the series, that, that they're following a Jesus that they don't really know. Or they've walked away from the church on the basis of a Jesus that doesn't really exist. And we're in a place right now where a lot of us who, who name the name of Jesus are freaking out about culture and moral erosion and everything that's going on in the world and how bad it is and on and on it goes. But here's what you need to know. Yes, culture has changed. Yes, the world has changed. But Jesus' promise has not changed. And is all the odds against it with Nero and dragging people into the Colosseum, I think first century Christians would show up to go, what are you so worried about? Jesus made a promise. Jesus is going to fulfill the promise. Come around that one thing. Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. We're following the unfiltered version of you, and we're just taking love with us. And I think it would begin to change everything again. This is what it's all about. And we're going to follow the unfiltered version of Jesus. But here's the thing. I think if we're going to do that, we have got to get back to being relentless about removing some of the filters that have gotten in the way and saying bye to them forever and replacing them with something else. And I think if we do that, I think the church, the church, and I want to talk to us as a church, as a gathering, as a body, will begin to influence and impact culture. And it's not any worse than it was when Jesus made the promise. And Jesus says, if you will still do this, I'm telling you, I'll bring power to the party and we're going to change things. And so here's what I want to do is I just want to give us five things because we've talked about a lot of things in this never ending series. And I just want to punctuate it. And I want to give us five things and say, I think this is the way forward. And some of these we've kind of talked around. Some of these are brand new, but I think these are the big things that in many cases are getting in the way for us as the church and our generation having the impact that we've been called to have. And I think if we do this, the church will impact the world around us. The first thing is this, we've got to make love 
love and just love and just this ethic of love the only measure for how we define spiritual maturity? Is anybody with me at the 1230? Because I need to know you are here. Like, this has got to be it. When my wife and I were just married, we had a date night. Uh, it wasn't the only date night we've had. I'm just saying we had a date night right after we were married. And I, I like, I, it was one of those nights where I planned everything. And I was, like, kind of proud of myself. Like, sometimes as guys, like, even with the kids or in marriage, sometimes I do the most, like, elementary things. And I'm just like, praise me. Um, when it's just really, like, you, you didn't do a whole lot. But I, I, I um... I organized the whole thing. I got reservations to a restaurant. I planned the evening out. Um, Nicole was all dressed up. I had everything on point. It was going to be good. I was looking pretty fly, I think. Like, it was going to be a really good night. And so we got there. Everything was perfect. The restaurant was good. The evening was tracking great. Um, There's going to be several more things that were going to happen that evening um, if things went well, if you know what I'm talking about. And so everything was amazing. The food was good. The wine was good. Like, we're getting to the end. And I had everything on point. I was so proud of myself. And then the bill comes. And I realize I don't have my wallet. And suddenly this perfectly planned evening starts to go off the rails. And so for a few minutes, I'm trying to think about how can I get out of this without her knowing? Because I know this is going to shut down the rest of the, t- the night when she finds out. And so sure enough, there's nothing I can do other than, hey, I'm about 30 minutes away from the home. I'm going to have to leave. You're going to have to stall and ask for more bread and do whatever you got to do until I come back. And my whole point is this, man. I was so on point. Like the restaurant, the plans for the evening, the everything that I had picked out and spent time on, and yet I was missing the one thing that mattered that evening. I needed a wallet and I needed some money to pay for it. And that was the one thing that I forgot to bring with me. And my whole point is this, I think we get so enamored with all of this stuff that's important, but we miss the one thing that actually matters when it comes to following Jesus and what the church should be all about. And so I just want to declare this with a little bit of passion and maybe a little bit loud that the only thing that matters in the words of Paul to a Jewish culture that was so enamored with the Old Testament system, the only thing that counts is your faith faith expressing itself through love. So if you want to know if you're spiritual, you can't stack up theology. You can't stack up your doctrinal knowledge. You can't stack up how many classes you attended, your seminary degree, how much people look to you, whether you stand on a stage and have a microphone or not. If you are a jerk, you are not in a place where you are following the unfiltered version of Jesus who says, I'm changing the game on spirituality. And it all comes down to this. If you're spiritual, you're going to love period, end of discussion. That's what it all comes down to. That's it. That's it. Like, we've got to move back to that. Like, here's the thing. Like, I I think a lot of times... we, we just have gotten it wrong and we're focused on things that are all good, but they're not the thing at the end of the day. I think if Jesus were to show up, this is my paraphrase, but if you have a lot of theology, but you don't love a lot of people, it's worthless. What you know has been replaced with how you love. 
It all comes down to that. Jesus is like, the playing field is now leveled where it doesn't matter like who you are or how much you know. And and listen, there's not a version of spirituality that now only works in the West or only works in developed countries. Have you ever thought about that? Like anybody, whether you're illiterate or whether you have education or not, you can begin to be a world changer in the kingdom of God because this is multinational. It's global. Jesus said, if you want to know the marks of following Jesus, it's love, it's kindness, it's peace, it's self-control, it is empathy, and that supersedes education or IQ or literacy, which means the most uneducated person you know, the most socially awkward person you know, the person who is off to the side and quiet and nobody pays any attention in the subversive, disruptive kingdom of God, they may be the world changers for what God's doing because it all comes down to love. Don't be impressed with somebody like me on the stage. It may be the person you've never even met. They're gonna have VIP access when we meet Jesus because it all comes back to this one thing. You want to know what spirituality is? It's just love. It's just love. And seven people over here that I'm going to preach to, they get that. Love you. It's just love. And listen, real quick, I got to move on. Jesus was brilliant, right? Because at the end of your life, there's only two categories of people that you are really going to remember or that are going to have an impact on your life. It's, it's going to be it. You may remember some other people, but this is going to be the benchmarks of, of what you really remember and what has and who has impacted your life. And it just comes down to these two categories of you will either remember those who wounded you or you will remember those who loved you unconditionally. And here's the thing, at the end of your life, theology and doctrine, all of those things are important, but you won't remember any of that. They'll just be placed in one of these two categories, those who wounded you or those who loved you unconditionally because Jesus knew it all comes down to that. And come on, let's just come around this as a church. It's all that we need. Some of you, you've experienced this. You were loved out of an addiction where you were self-medicating. You didn't get taught out of it. You got loved out of it. Some of you were in a bad marriage at your worst and you were loved into God restoring and resurrecting that marriage. Some of you were a college student with questions as a sophomore, and you were loved past your objections to encounter Jesus. Love is the only thing that can change a human heart. Love is the only thing that can stir your affections from the inside out. This is an upside down kingdom. Before Jesus, everybody could ignore the heart. With Jesus, nobody could ignore the heart. Jesus comes to religious leaders one day and says, listen, you honor me with your lips, all you religious people, but your hearts are far from me. And now spirituality is not outside in, it's inside out. It's all about how you love. And here's the good news. Love is all you need. The love of Jesus will change any human heart. And I got to say one more thing, and I really will move on. And we've kind of addressed this in this series, but the church has got to stop got to stop disguising being the moral policeman for everybody as the church on mission where we are elevating certain sins and it's usually around sexuality and then a couple others that we throw in there and we are literally becoming an obstacle to people encountering the loving God. Jesus can change a heart. Yes, there's times to deal with sin. Sin's a big deal. Go back and listen to the series. But there's a lot of people who just need us to walk with them and it may take them 10 years to unwind from where they're at, but Jesus 
Jesus can change their heart. And we need to come alongside and stop trying to fix all the time and just be the representative of Jesus' love. And they would change. And I think people would flock to the local church. Love is all we need. And so can you imagine when Jesus made that statement? Hey, by this, by, by this. If you do this, I think you will begin to be light in culture again. I think you will begin to be salt, a preservative in culture again. It all comes down to this one thing. And I just want to say to us as center point or wherever you are, this is the baton that you need to take up. This is what our churches have to get back to. There's a lot of things that matter. There is only one thing at the end of the day that is the end goal, and that is to love people like Jesus. That's it. And the church will begin to impact. The second thing we need to do is we need to stop disconnecting Jesus from his body. Paul said this, he was writing to a church in Corinth, or actually in Ephesus, and he says, from the whole body, Jesus' body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, literally, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you and me, grows and builds itself up in, what is it? In what? Oh, come on. Uh, Builds itself up in what? No, one more time. As each part does its work, that you are a part of the body of Christ. Here's the thing. Let me just be as straight as I can. We can't say in this new movement that we love Jesus and don't love his body. We have so lost the whole idea behind a lot of the teaching in the New Testament is that when Jesus takes off, the closest thing we're going to get to Jesus until he comes back and takes us home is the body as it gathers. And then after it gathers, it spreads out into culture to scatter and to be light and to be salt. But we cannot forsake the gathering together around what Paul says is the foolishness of preaching where we understand we will miss something in our spiritual journey and somebody else will miss something in their spiritual journey if we do not take this seriously. And when we come together to worship and gather around the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God and love and invite other people in the church starts to be on mission in the community. And so Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to love my body. You got to work. You got to be a part of a supporting ligament you've got to play your role well. So why wouldn't you be involved? Why wouldn't you serve? Why wouldn't you try to tear away obstacles in a parking lot to go, you just need to know Jesus cares. Why wouldn't you sit in a circle with kids and go, I want to introduce you to how amazing the love is of a heavenly father that you can know. Why wouldn't we give? Why wouldn't we serve behind the scenes? Why wouldn't we step in? Because we are the body of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you're going to be all that I've called you to be in the world, the church has to start taking that seriously. You are not a body just on your own. You're a body when you gather together and you encourage and you love and then you go out to invade the city with the grace of Jesus. Can, can I, I just say this? And like consumers in the church, like as the church gathers, and again, the church is not a building, but we've been called to gather and then we've been called to go. Consumers in the church are dangerous, man. But because here's the thing, All of the hurt that some of you have experienced from Jesus followers of the church, it all stemmed from consumer thinking. 
And if you think that we don't have the propensity of maybe one day down the road just being a cooler version of whatever you hated, then it's just naive because I'm telling you, consumer mindsets often lead to country club churches and it's us four and no more. And we miss out on the mission of Jesus in our community. It takes every person coming together to be a part of the body and playing their role. And come on, Jesus is for you. The church is for you. It's for your growth, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And I think if we are going to invade our city and going to reach people that need the love of Jesus, we've got to make comfort a casualty. We've got to step out. Some of us, we're in a place right now where we're uncomfortable and we're constantly kind of attributing that to the enemy. And where we're comfortable, we're attributing that to Jesus' blessing and favor. And sometimes the opposite is true. Where you are in discomfort is where Jesus is working because in many cases, you don't grow in comfort and churches don't grow in comfort and we're not missional in comfort. We have been called to go. And so if we're gonna be a place that reaches everybody with the love of Jesus, every body part has got to play its role. If it's going to be accessible and welcoming to gay and straight and white and black and Democrat and Republican and rich and poor and educated and uneducated, I'm just convinced that does not happen if you have too many formaldehyde sight, so, so detached body parts who are not playing their role well. It takes the body coming together. Is anybody with me on that? Do you agree with that? And I, I, love, I love what Carl Lentz says. Like, we, we got to develop a church, man, where everybody's got one hand in worship and one hand on their wallet because they may get pickpocketed because that's a church. I'm serious. And I know that's uncomfortable for some of us, but, but we're the body of Jesus. It's the closest thing, this side of heaven. And Jesus hung out with pimps and prostitutes and extortionists and religious leaders and political zealots, and he said, I want you to go be my body. Can you imagine if everybody played their part well? Can you imagine if I did what God's called me to do and you, if you did what God's called you to do? Here's what I know. There's a bunch of people in just our city and our community that have walked away from this version of Jesus that is not accurate and they look at the church as something completely other than what Jesus created it to be. And there is a growing disproportionate number of people who need to see the church on mission in our area where it's all about the unfair filtered version of Jesus. And so we need to go be that church. It only happens when you decide to be a part of the body. If that wasn't uncomfortable enough, let me give you a couple more that we're going to be done if we're going to impact the culture the way Jesus said. We need to value women in the church the way that Jesus did. I know some of you, you've never amen before. You're going to amen in the next couple minutes. I'm preaching to you right now. We have to value, I don't, I don't think we can understand the implications of Jesus stepping into first century culture and women were marginalized. Women were seen as property in a lot of cases. They could be divorced um, by a man and there was no repercussions of that. In many cases, they, they were seen as less than a person and Jesus enters into all that to go, I'm going to change the game. And I know this may not seem like a big deal to some of you, but I, I run in some different circles where this whole idea of marriage and leadership in the church has become something about male domination rather than collaboration. And I'm telling you, as you read the New Testament without filters on, Jesus introduced something completely different. 
And there's a lot of denominations right now where some stuff has sprung to the surface over the last months where there has been decades of spiritual abuse and marginalization of women while the church stayed silent rather than stepping up to go regardless of what happens to our denomination. We serve a man named Jesus who said everybody is made in the image of God. Everybody's a part of the body. And yes, there's distinct roles, but Jesus from the very outset empowered women to be a part of that body and lead the way in the church and to be a part of mutual submission in marriage and for the church to not speak up and preach that is to dishonor Jesus. And we have got to get that back in the church. Like one day Jesus was with a group of people um, in a home. You, you maybe know the story, Mary and Martha, and Martha is doing what everybody valued of a, wo a woman in culture. She was, she was preparing the way for a dinner party, and then there was, there was Mary, and she was in the living room, if you know the story, sitting crisscross applesauce, you know, um, listening to Jesus with a bunch of guys, and, and Mary and Martha start to get into it, and Martha's like, hey, go tell my sister, because I'm not talking to her right now. I'm ticked, because she's not helping me with the dinner party. Go tell her, Jesus, to help me. And Jesus turns to Mary and Martha, and we, list, we miss the implications of, of the point Jesus was making in this interaction. But in Luke 10, 42, Jesus says in this little dispute between Mary and Martha, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Meaning, I know what you've grown up with in first century culture. I know how women are viewed. I know how your mindset is, but I'm about to change that. And what Jesus is doing in that moment is he is inviting women to do what is valued among men, which is to be his disciple. And everything began to change. Women are the first to come to an empty tomb, even though they weren't considered as valid witnesses. They were last at the cross. They helped fund Jesus' ministry almost exclusively. Paul says they were leaders of the house church movement. And we've taken things where we can't lead alongside of strong women or under women in the church. We have taken away their voice because of a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 14, where they're not preaching and teaching and being a part of the body. And I'm just telling you, when we do not allow women to be a part of the body the way Jesus designed, we dishonor Jesus and we have got to get that back if we're going to follow the unfiltered version of Jesus in our generation. We just do. We just do. Marriage, the same thing. I can't, I'll move on, but I can't ramp up the emotion enough when Jesus is with some guys. And again, women in marriage, they had no standing. It was simply male domination. You could give women a certificate for a divorce, and that was it. And they had to be on their way. And there was no, no ramifications whatsoever. And so Jesus is with these guys one day, and he's like, let me, let me talk to you about marriage and divorce and remarriage and the value of women. And so Jesus starts to teach. And if there is any doubt about how shocking and extreme Jesus' teaching was. At the end of the message about the value of women in marriage and remarriage, all the guys in the crowd said, Matthew 19, 10, it is better not to marry. If you just want to know, if you come to the scriptures with all of your filters on and you try to finesse this, you should just go to this verse and go, this is how extreme it was because in a culture of male domination, Jesus said, marriage is going to change. And yes, there's going to be distinct roles because I've made you in the image of God and it's a good and beautiful gift, but make no mistake, Paul comes along later and says, I want you to actually submit to one another. Say it with me. Submit to who? 
one another out of reverence for Christ. It is no longer male domination. There should be no more ideas in the church where women are just following along behind the men and they are demeaned and they are talked down to. We follow Jesus and marriage is not male domination. It is mutual submission and collaboration if we're gonna honor him and we're gonna honor him within the church. And come on, can I just say one more thing? And then if, if you've been at Centerpoint for a while, for some of you, it's, it's been a good run and I'll see you in heaven. But can I just say this, this last thing? It is that, that the church has got to get back on the front lines of stop cowarding or, or, or having this, this idea of, of just not being willing to step up because of the ramifications, no matter what it means for a segment or a denomination. And, and anytime a Jesus follower, a woman is marginalized or demeaned, or there's misogynistic behavior, anytime there is a, a, a pastor or a priest or somebody who's leading the church, who's involved in that, anytime there is a political leader, it doesn't matter if we are followers of Jesus who serves a man who said, I'm giving worth and value to every single woman is made in the image of God, then we have the responsibility to step up and go, that is not okay in the body of Christ. And we are followers of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what political party you're a part of. It doesn't matter what church or denomination you're a part of. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you know. If you devalue any woman in the name of Jesus, we're going to speak up and we're going to talk about that because we serve a man that leveled the playing field and said, we are all involved in. And then the last thing, I, I got to go and uh, we got to stop. If we're going to impact our culture with the message of Jesus, we got to stop selling our soul on the altar of politics as the church of Jesus Christ. In the first century, I don't think, again, you can overestimate just the, the fear and the paranoia about being a Christian under Nero and under Rome and the threat of being drugged into a Colosseum or, or taken away early mid-morning to a guillotine and all that faced them and all the, the eroding morality and everything was against them. And Jesus, how is this even going to work? How are you going to keep this promise to take the church to the world? Everything is against us. And Paul writes to his little church in Ephesus, and he, he says this, and they had, they had gotten their eyes on what they feared and, and taken back Israel, and, and how is this all going to work? And, and so Paul says, let me just share something with you. Let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, and let us fix our eyes on who? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And I think, and I'm going to speak to the broad church for just a second. I think that because of paranoia and hysteria and, and we're afraid of what's going to happen, and I get all of that, I think that in some cases we have shifted our focus and we have fixed our eyes on a political party or a political movement or a political candidate. And in some cases we have sold our soul. And I think the same thing that Paul said to the Ephesus church is the same thing he'd say to us. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
and the church should never be in a place where they have given up influence of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because politics have gotten in the way because there's something bigger than party and that is eternity. Everybody's gonna spend forever somewhere and the chief aim of every church is to introduce people to Jesus, not moralize society and you should be involved and you should have a voice but I'm just telling you, Jesus is not coming back to quote Ed Stetzer, riding a donkey or riding an elephant or riding Air Force One. He's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Lion of Judah and the Great I Am and the Resurrection and the Life. And he is going to set up a kingdom that is going to upend and supersede every other kingdom as part of a multinational, multi, a global movement to the world that is all about, I entered the world because I wanted to see the world saved through Jesus Christ. And we should never give up influence as the church where we are kept from seeing people come to know Jesus because of our filter of politics being the lens through our faith rather than our faith being the lens through which we see everything else in society because Jesus did not come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And I just want to state this and put a stake in the ground. Center Point will never be associated with a political party or a movement or be the arm of a political party. We are under the banner of Jesus, a part of this global movement, and we are about introducing people to Jesus. That's all we have, and we need to fix our eyes on him. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. I'll just tell you this one story. A few, um, actually two weeks ago, I was with this pastor's conference, and I was feeling a lot, a little out of place, and, and so a lot of great people there, but I just felt like I need somebody normal to talk to, and I, I found this guy that was by the door, and he was, um, he had dreads, and you could tell with the demo of this room, he was not one of the pastors. Um, it was pretty segmented, and so I just started to talk to him, and I was like, hey, so what do you think? He was working for Armature Works, and I was like, so what do you think about this whole thing? You got to kind of work this event, and the first thing he told me, no lies, like, um, it smells like old church in here. And I was like, what is that? And then I knew I smelled what he was talking about. Like, I don't know if that's the mix of like mothballs and pews, but it smelled, anybody know what I'm talking about? It smelled like old, it had a smell. And so I'm just talking to him. And here's the thing, man, that just drove me crazy is within three minutes of being into our conversation, I had to start to deconstruct for him that, hey, we are not actually um, a part of one political movement. Jesus is not synonymous with what you have on your voter registration card. It is much bigger than that. And I had to go through this whole talk of just trying to tear away all the filters to go, I just want you to know Jesus. And it is such a shame that we are viewed as one arm of one political party when Jesus said, I want you to come around the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And by this, the world is going to know. And you need to move everything else out to the side because the church is a movement for Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and those who are independent, who are on a journey to find Jesus. And the church has got to get back to that and fix our eyes on Jesus. And then finally, if we're going to impact culture, we need to stop fighting culture. And we've talked about this a little bit in the series, and we need to engage with good news. And I just want to challenge our church in this. I love the scene where Jesus is on the cross and everything is coming to a culmination. He's dying for the sins of the world, unbeknownst to most of the people there. And he, he says that powerful phrase of, it is finished. 
And up into that point, Israel was the chosen nation of God and holiness for them meaning meant being set apart from all the rest of the world because God was doing something unique in history. But when Jesus is on the cross, the whole game is changing. And as Jesus is saying, it is finished, there's this powerful moment as the clouds are rolling in where it says the curtain in the temple was being torn from top to bottom. And it signified that no longer was God gonna be separate from culture, that God was not gonna engage culture, that holiness was the ba- was the basis of separation, but instead now God was engaging and calling his movement to engage and to be a part of culture and to come with good news and to be light in a culture that was dark. And so the now in that moment, holiness was not being set apart from everybody else. Holiness was being set apart to be light where it's dark. The curtain being torn was evidence of love is about to invade. Love is about to advance. Jesus entered the world and came to the world, condescended into dark so that we would follow his example. And so where it is dark is where Jesus' light needs to shine. And the church is no longer holiness personified when we separate. We are holiness when we engage. And the difference is I'm coming with Jesus. I'm coming with the light of Jesus. But I'm moving into places that are uncomfortable. I'm moving into places that are going to test me. And I'm going to guard my heart and my soul. But I'm going to start fighting for people I disagree with, the agnostic and the the atheist and the abortion advocate and my idiot neighbor that I'm struggling with because this is a message of salvation for the world. And so I'm coming for you and I'm coming to fight for you, not against you, because the thing that reigns supreme above everything else and every wall and every disagreement is that every person needs the hope and life and salvation and forgiveness that only comes from Jesus. And we are his change agents in culture to bring it to people. And we've got to engage. And so I just want to encourage you. I'm hoping that as we move forward in the coming months, you start to develop friendships with people that you are so nervous to be around. And you start having conversations with people that in the past you have argued with, and now because you have the resurrection power of Jesus and nothing to be afraid of, you start listening to those same people. And you go into places where you just come with compassion and you don't worry about reputation because Jesus didn't. And you go into places and among people where your primary objective is not to fix them. It's just to be a friend to them because by this, by love, the world is going to change. And we just need to love people into a relationship with Jesus. And I'm telling you, there is so much that hangs in the balance of us as a church, as a church in our generation to do what Jesus has called us to do. And regardless of what shots you may take from religious people. We need to get back to the unfiltered version of Jesus and just say, we're going to be all about that. We're going to do it with everything we got in us. And a few, a few weeks ago, we got an email that so personifies the angst and the urgency in me of, of somebody who came to our gathering and, and she told her whole story about a life that had been characterized by a lot of bumps and a lot of dysfunction and a lot of brokenness to the point of, and this is just word for word, I just, I lived most of my life walking around feeling like I was worthless. And she walked in not long ago to one of our services because she wanted to deal with her guilt before God, not guilt from her past, but, but guilt over the fact that after she went to church, she was gonna go and kill herself. And she walked in to somehow, whatever that looked like, make things right, 
with God because the fact that she felt worthless and there was no use continuing on and, and somehow, and this is only the power of the Spirit of God and, and what happens when you encounter Jesus, but she walked in with this idea that she just needed to end it all and this was the only point and instead, rather than walking in and walking out with that objective on the forefront of her mind, she walked out as a follower of Jesus. She walked out understanding that she had extraordinary worth because of what Jesus had done and regardless of how many people had told her she was worthless, she is loved and secure and has life and hope in Jesus and Jesus alone and I just want to encourage us, it is the church that is stewards of that message and when we come around the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he's going to fulfill his promise. And by this, the world's going to change. And by this, people like her is going to come to encounter the hope and life in Jesus that's going to change her eternity forever. And I just don't know why we wouldn't be more urgent about that. I don't know why we wouldn't move forward with that. And so wherever you're in the house, I just want you to stand right now. And I just want to encourage you as we close and our worship team comes, and if we could just stay put for a second out of respect for those who are around us, I just want to encourage you to go with urgency and be the church. Be the church as we gather and come together. You should go today. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not plugged in, you should go sign up at Connect Point to serve. You should get into a group. You should start getting into an environment where you can wash feet. And then you should go out to wherever God has placed you and start repping Jesus. Stop worrying so much about where you are. Go to the drive through window. Go be a barista. Go into the classroom. Go into your neighborhood. Go into that place where you just want to get out of so badly and you're praying for Jesus to remove you from it, but Jesus has placed you there to be salt and to be light, and it's dark because it needs light, and you are the light. And so I just want to encourage you as we close, if you have encountered Jesus in any way, maybe you have been freed from the shackles of addiction where you were self-medicating. Maybe you have been freed from religion. Maybe you are a mess right now, but you have encountered the fact that I'm a mess, but I know that I have worth in Jesus, and one day Jesus is going to complete what he started in me. So I I love Jesus because of his love for me. If you've moved to a place, can we just preach for a second, where you have been awakened to the fact that Jesus paid the debt for your sin. Jesus conquered hell. He overcame the grave. The power of sin no longer has a hold on your life. And Jesus is alive. He's a resurrected Savior. And you know that one day, despite you, you are going to stand face to face with Jesus. How do we not take that message to the world? How do we not walk out on Monday morning, wherever we are, and no matter how bad it is to go, I need other people to know what I have in Jesus. So I'm just telling you, church, go and go with urgency because people are dying without Jesus. And I wish that some of us would spend more time at the bedsides of people who are breathing their last breath to go. There is no time to talk about someday or getting our junk together. Today is the day. People need hope right now. Let's go. Let's go be the church. Let's go follow the unfiltered version of Jesus, regardless of where he takes us. And I'm telling you, my dreams are big of what God could do through us in our city, because I look at the epic story of what God planted in the first century. We could rock a city with the grace and the love of Jesus if we would just be the church and not worry about what anybody else says. We're just following Jesus. We're going to go love people to Jesus. And I just want us to do that as a church.
Would you guys just bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you are at in this moment? And as we, as we end, with nobody looking around, I just want to give some of you maybe the chance to enter into a relationship with Jesus for the first time by trust. And we've had many make that decision throughout this series. But every week and every day is a new day. And this may be the time where you weren't expecting it. Today seemed random. You weren't even going to show up. But Jesus had other plans for you to encounter him and receive his forgiveness and his grace and to change everything in you from the inside out. And so wherever you're at, and I want all of us audibly to pray this together so nobody feels like they're on the outside. And it's not a prayer that saves you. It is your declaration of faith and trust in Jesus. But all over the room, if this is the moment where you're going, Jesus, I believe. I want a relationship with you. And I can't earn my way to you. It has to be on the basis of what you have done for me. The scripture says that all of us have sinned. All of us were born with dysfunction and we fall short of Jesus' standards for our life. And the good news is Jesus came, help came in human form. And now we can have a relationship with God. So all over the house, if you're podcasting, if you're listening in a seemingly random place, if you're, you're tuned in on radio, I just wanna give you this opportunity wherever you're at in church, in the room right now, I just want us to do this together. Pray this prayer if you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus. It is your trust that saves you. Jesus, I believe that you are God all over the house. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose again. And I'm asking you to save me, not on the basis of what I can do, but on the basis of what you did. For some of you, this is the moment, so I wanna give you one more chance with heads bowed, eyes closed. It is your declaration of trust that saves you all over the house. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose again. And I'm placing my trust in what you have done and not what I can do for you. And it seems so simple that we stumble over it, but the scripture says when you call out to the name of the Lord on the basis of what he has done for you in history, the scripture says you are saved, you become a son and a daughter of God and nothing can ever separate you from that love because it's based on his promise and not your performance. And so with heads bowed, eyes closed, if this was your moment when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time by faith, would you just lift up your hand and go, that's me, this was my moment, this was the point where I by faith put my trust in Jesus anywhere in the house if you're online, we'd love to hear from you. Last thing, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and I'm, I'm in this with you, this maybe is the moment, the invitation to come and see, but you've seen enough. And now it's time to maybe recommit re-surrender, and I struggle to use those words, but just that moment where we know the Spirit of God is pulling on our heart, and we've let so many things get in the way, and we are so comfortable, and we need urgency again, fueled by the Spirit of God, and this is the moment where we just want to surrender again, Jesus, I want to follow you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my life, and so if that's you, would you just lift up your hand and surrender to go, I want to make that declaration right now as I'm moved by the Spirit of God, not to enter into a relationship. I'm already in relationship, but I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. Would you just lift up your hand to go, that's me in this moment. Keep them up. Keep them up. 
I, I right now just need to resurrender Jesus. I want to follow you with everything I got. God, I pray for your grace. I pray for the power of your spirit. I thank you for what you are doing in this place and through these people. And Lord, this is not the end of a series. In some ways, this is a new anchor and a new turning point for us. And we've always been about Jesus. But Lord, we, we surrender again as a church. We want to just be about Jesus. And the days ahead, we believe that the name of Jesus is going to reverberate through our city in ways that we have never seen through this gathering of people and through this movement. And so God, use us. We surrender to you. Our eyes are fixed on you. And we thank you for your grace and for your love. And we pray all of this in the incredible name of Jesus. Would you guys celebrate Jesus and put your hands together and celebrate those who made a decision to trust Christ today? Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.